Thank you, worship team. Thanks for leading us this morning. Uh, welcome again to New Cove. It's good to see you. Uh, it's good to be together, good to worship together. Get my notes open here. Uh, I'm Brett Wellstead, the pastor of worship at New Cove. If you're new to New Cove, I thought I'd just introduce myself. Um, if you're new to New Cove, and especially if you've just been attending in the past few weeks, you might not know that uh, we're in the middle of a search for our next pastor. At the end of September, Dr. Tim Johnson, our senior pastor for the past 22 years, uh, resigned to focus on his health. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's less than two years ago. Um, we're continuing to pray for Tim and Karen, and they're still part of New Cove. They're attending online, and we're helping them in any way we can. Um, the latest on the search for a new pastor is that the pastoral staff have been meeting regularly with our governing board the past couple of months, and uh, we're working on nominating members of a search team comprised of staff, governing board, and members of New Cove. We're being careful to select men and women that span our age demographic and who believe strongly in the vision and the mission of New Cove. We have landed on a search firm that we'd like to guide us through the search process. They bring more than 16 years of church consulting experience. They're based in the Midwest, and their references were excited uh, to talk with us and give glowing reviews. Um, One of the things that drew us to this particular firm is that they're going to take us through a congregational assessment, a staff profile and assessment, and a leadership team assessment They want to understand where we're at as a church to find the best possible candidates for us. And of course, uh, they have a variety of assessment tools for the candidates that they bring, including StrengthsFinder, which our staff is very familiar with. So it's always nice to kind of speak the same language when we're talking uh, about strengths and and qualifications. So we're excited to see that in their plan. We're going to share more details as they become available. If you have any questions, please talk to any one of us on the staff. Um, we're going to be posting monthly updates at newcovechurch.org slash pastor dash search. Uh, so you can find the latest there. And please keep our governing board, our staff, and our church in your prayers. Pray that the search team will be equipped and guided by the Holy Spirit as they begin meeting and communicating with the pastor search firm. Pray for our pastoral team as we move into the holiday season ahead, that we would find energy for the work of ministry, but also energy for our families, and good rest on a regular basis. During the transition, you're going to see a rotating cast of characters speaking on Sunday morning. Um, Pastor Brent, Pastor Troy, and I, uh, founding pastor Brett Yon, and longtime member Stephen Gracia are sharing this role. Uh, The other roles have been divided up among the pastoral staff, and you can find more details on the Pastor Search page. Just wanted to keep you updated on that. Let's pray. Let's just go ahead and pray for these things and, uh, and ask God to continue to lead our church and, and submit to him. Father, we thank you that, uh, that you know all things, that you see our past, that you see where we've been as a church, um, that you see this moment where we are crying out to you and asking for your leadership and your guidance, but also that you see the future of New Cove. It's good to know that when we pray, we're praying to a God who knows the ending, who knows each step uh, that we're going to take, and, uh, and that we can trust you in that. I pray that you would direct our steps. I pray uh, for the, the people that are being called to the search team. Give them wisdom, God, um, to know who, uh, how, to, how to best spend their time as they, uh, as they serve in this way. I pray that you um, give them good rapport with the, with the firm that we're hiring I pray that, uh, that they would together 
be able to come to the candidate that you have for New Cove. And I pray for our staff, God. Uh, this is a, a time of challenges. Um, it's a time when uh, I'm grateful that, that I get to work with um, the, the rest of the team. Um, I'm grateful for New Cove and the support that uh, we've uh, seen from them. Uh, I just pray, that, God, that you would be the center of everything that we do. As we, as we read in, uh, in Philippians this morning, God, that, uh, that you would join us by your spirit, unify us towards following you, towards sharing the gospel of Jesus with others, unite us under the mission and the vision of New Cove that you've called us to. Um, I also pray, God, that uh, you would be near to and with uh, Tim and Karen uh, through uh, the, uh, Tim's treatments and um, working with his doctor. I pray that you would give them wisdom. We pray for Tim's health. We pray that you would help him to recover, and, uh, and we pray that he would have the rest and the exercise and the attention that he needs um, to, to get his Parkinson's uh, moving in a better direction. So we lift up Tim and Karen to you, God. Supply their needs. Show us how we can come alongside them and serve them and bless them. And uh, God, continue to lead New Cov. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, as Brian mentioned, today we will finish our series, Choose Joy, Finding Happiness in the Right Place. The past six weeks, we've talked about how the Apostle Paul began a church in Philippi, and later, as he was imprisoned in Rome... Um, He wrote a letter to the church, and this is what we know as Philippians, the 11th book of the New Testament of our Bible. Philippians is relatively short, but there's so much to learn about following Jesus here. In 104 verses, the name of Jesus or Christ or Lord or Savior occurs 51 times. Paul reminds us the church at Philippi to follow Jesus and to know Jesus. And another theme that is found throughout the letter is that of joy. Choose joy in the midst of suffering. Choose joy in a culture that scoffs and mocks. Paul points to several sources of joy, which we've covered each week. Brent, with an N, talked about how we can find joy when we partner with each other for the sake of the gospel. Brett, with two Ts, pointed to the experiencing joy as we help others grow in their faith. Troy explained how to tell the difference between Brent, Brett, and myself. But he also talked about unity in the church as a source of joy. Brent uh, shared how we can look at the examples of others and find joy, as Paul did with Timothy and Epaphroditus. And last week, Big Brett shared how deep and sustaining relationships in Christ can bring us joy. All of this is found in just four chapters of Philippians. And today we're going to conclude by looking at what Paul found to be the ultimate source of joy, knowing Jesus. So let's start where we did with uh, the, uh, we read part of this passage, uh, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. My NIV Bible has a heading for this section that says final exhortations. Exhortation is an encouragement. Um, it's an encouragement to do something. Some of the songs that we sing are exhortations, like the opening song this morning that actually comes from this verse. When Paul says rejoice, he's encouraging the Philippians to choose joy. Yes, there are hardships in life. Yes, we may be ridiculed by others or worse. And yes, these things are difficult. Paul doesn't mean for us to put our heads in the sand. He isn't saying, don't worry, be happy. Uh, He is speaking as someone who's familiar with hardships, though. And having given up so much in order to follow Jesus, I think he, he speaks from a particular point of view. It's important to remember that Paul has one of the most radical conversion stories that you'll ever find. When we first read about Paul in the book of Acts, 
He was known by his Hebrew name, Saul. He was a Jew, and he had achieved great status as a leader in his faith. He actually talks about this in Philippians chapter 3. So uh, starting in verse 3 of that chapter, Paul writes, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blood citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if ever there was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. So Paul, in his culture and in his religion, he had made all the right moves. His parents had circumcised him at eight days in accordance with God's word to Abraham and, uh, and the Jewish law, which is, you can find in Leviticus 12.3. Paul was a true descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the only tribe that stayed true to the throne when the kingdom of Israel split. Paul was pure blood, a real Hebrew, he says, which might indicate that both his parents were of the tribe of Benjamin. There was nothing false or impure about his lineage, and he was named after the first king of Israel, Saul. And then there was Paul's behavior. Paul was a Pharisee, so he paid meticulous attention to the law of Moses. He never failed to keep it. His zeal for his religion led him to hunt down and persecute Christians. Notably, he oversaw the stoning of Stephen to death in Acts 8. And Paul lays all this out in a way to say, if anyone can boast about human effort, it's me. But now, near the end of his life, Paul writes to the Philippians in 3.7, everything that was a gain to me, I considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. What happened that changed Paul so completely? The short answer is the best guess to any Sunday school question you'll ever get. Jesus. (laughs) In Acts 9, you can read how Paul was on his way to Damascus, intent on finding and punishing followers of the way, when he was struck blind by a light and a voice, and then he was healed by the very people he was trying to hurt, and everything changed. Jesus does that. He changes us from the inside out. Uh, In the 1980s, one of Christian music's most influential songwriters was a guy named Rich Mullins. And if you don't know Rich's story, you probably know his songs, Um, but He got his break in 1981 when Amy Grant recorded a version of his song, Sing Your Praise to the Lord. He began a solo recording career and performing career, and he was very successful. But in the late 80s, he started feeling this restlessness when it came to his relationship with Jesus. He decided to leave Tennessee, leave his uh, kind of recording uh, uh, practices there, I guess. He got a Bachelor of Arts in Music Education, He moved to a Navajo reservation in Sabonito, New Mexico, and he taught music to children there. He lived in a small hogan, which is kind of like a hut, and uh, his music profits were entrusted to the elders of his church. He didn't want to know how much he made. They gave him the average salary of a laborer, um, and the rest of it they donated to charity. Rich didn't want to know how much he was making. He didn't want to know his success level. Um, He still did concerts. He still performed, a lot of times for free. Um, But he gave up the success, the fame, his home in Tennessee to follow Jesus. 
At a concert shortly before his death, Rich said, Jesus said, whatever you do the least of these brothers, you've done it to me. And this is what I've come to think, that if I want to identify fully with Jesus Christ, who I claim to be my Savior and Lord, the best way that I can do that is to identify with the poor. Jesus changes people. When Paul encountered Jesus on Damascus, it changed him from the inside out. He gave up everything he had, everything that he thought was important. Philippians 8, uh, or Philippians 3, 8 through 11 says this, Because of him, because of Jesus, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. He writes that everything that he lost, uh, everything that he had known he lost, but it didn't matter to him anymore. All of it, more than that, he says everything he considered loss in view of knowing Jesus. He considered them dung. And here's a fun one for you kids if you want to memorize this. The Greek word is for dung in this is skubalon. And it, it means literally refuse, excrement, something worthless and detestable. That's what he thought of everything he was born of, everything he had achieved, his status, his success, his power, his righteousness by the law, the admiration that he had. It didn't come close in his mind to knowing Jesus. And that's what he was fixed on. The joy of knowing Jesus, to know the power of Jesus' resurrection, to participate in his sufferings. Going on, Philippians 3, uh, verse 12. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching toward what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So, when Paul says rejoice in the Lord, again I say rejoice. He's showing that joy is not a product of achievement. It's certainly not a product of circumstances. Joy comes from knowing Jesus. And he goes on to show what this looks like. Back to Philippians 4, Paul offers some practical suggestions for living out this abundant joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And we're going to spend the rest of our time here Uh, going through this verse by verse. Because Paul's way of following Jesus and his advice for Christians not only helps us to follow him, uh, to follow Jesus and experience God's peace, but it can also change the people around us. It can bring God's kingdom in our hearts and in our relationships. So, here we go. Philippians 4-5, Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Right after Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord... He tells us to be gentle in a way that is evident to all. This word gentleness, the Greek word is epiakes, and it's hard to translate its full meaning into a single word. It's more than just being gentle. It's, It's a yielding one's own rights in order to show consideration for others. It's acting out the self sacrificing love of Jesus. And Paul wants us to act this way not only when it's easy, but when it's hard. He says, let it be evident to all even when we don't think they deserve it, even when it's putting us at a big inconvenience. As an encouragement here, though, Paul reminds us that Jesus is near. Jesus, whose last words as he hung on the cross were, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is near, not speaking in terms of proximity, 
This is about Jesus coming soon. He will make everything right again. So our call is to endure and to be gentle to all, even when it's difficult. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Paul identifies something that we should move away from, worry, and something that we should move toward, prayer. And this move is connected to the previous verses. If we have an attitude of joy and gentleness, if we're aware that Jesus is returning soon, worry becomes less and less the default. And I should say, worry is different than uh, concern. We should be concerned about the well-being of our families. Um, We should show concern for those hurting and in need. But worry goes beyond that. The Greek word here is merimnao, which means to be anxious, or I like this one, to be troubled with cares. Jesus warned, it's what Jesus warns us against in Matthew 6, verses 35 and 34. Don't be troubled with the cares of tomorrow. Don't let those things ruin what God has for you today. Another way of thinking about this verse is that joy, gentleness towards all, thanksgiving, all of these are forms of trusting God. Worry, on the other hand, is a subtle form of distrusting God. It's not a, a litmus Litmus test for believers, by the way, if you find yourself worrying a lot, it doesn't mean that you don't really believe in God or his power and goodness, but it's something to pay attention to, and it's definitely a cue to pray. So by prayer and petition, Paul says, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Let's, let's unpack this a little bit, because uh, apparently there's a difference between prayer and petition. So prayer is more of a general term for worshipful or devotional conversation with God. It acknowledges his presence, his attention to us. He is near and he hears. Petition is maybe more directly related to worry. It's, it's spoken out of need. Um, when we cry out to God in petition, we give our worries to him. Thanksgiving is an attitude that combats worry. Thanking God for the many ways he blesses us is a quick way to push back worry. And finally, the word for requests here refers to directly asking God for God's help in specific ways. So when we trust God, when we choose joy, when we turn to him in prayer, we get to verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mentioned a few weeks ago that the city of Philippi was situated on uh, the shore of the Aegean Sea. It was to its kind of southwest. Um, To its north and east and west were mountain ranges. From a military standpoint, it was very difficult to attack or conquer Philippi. So Paul's readers would understand that this picture of God's peace guarding their hearts and minds, uh, that would be a very vivid picture for them. It's interesting to me that peace can be a stronghold. Do you ever think about that? The peace of God protects our emotions, our thoughts, our personalities from the damage that worry can do. It's so important to turn to him when we feel anxious, to trust in that peace and to find that peace. So uh, verses 8 through 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. As Paul is wrapping up his exhortations or encouragements, and as he's wrapping up his letter, I think it's interesting that this is where he goes. 
The word finally could be read in the sense of it follows then. So if we're to give up worry, if we're to turn to God in prayer and experience the guarding goodness of God's peace, it follows then that we should think about these things that help us to remain in God's peace. My small group is going through the Larry Osborne study on Right Now Media called Thriving in, Bab- uh, Thriving in Exile. And uh, I was really excited as the small group leader to open the study materials last week and realize, hey, we're going to do the same passage that I'm going to preach on on Sunday. This might be, give me some material. So it did. Uh, <laughs> Larry Osborne talks about the principle of gigo or garbage in, garbage out. What we consume, whether it's food or music or news or movies or television or podcasts, Those things shape who we are. When we consume the anger of political pundits, that anger shapes us. When we listen to culture's take on sexuality and marriage, that shapes our relationship with our spouse or our boyfriend or girlfriend. When we focus on news stories or documentaries of murder, death, crime, danger, we can find ourselves moving toward the anxiety that Jesus has rescued us from. Paul is saying there's a better way. And so let's look at these items quickly. Whatever is true, truth comes from God. It's it's not different for each of us. That would base truth on our perception or our personal experience. There's an old illustration that Tim Keller references in his book, The Reason for God, um, that has been used to claim that there can't be one true religion. And it goes like this. Several blind men were walking along, and they came upon an elephant that allowed them to touch and feel it. This creature is long and flexible like a snake, said the first blind man, holding the elephant's trunk. Not at all. It's thick and round like a tree trunk, said the second man, feeling the elephant's leg. No, it's large and flat, said the third blind man, touching the elephant's side. Each blind man could feel only part of the elephant. None could envision the entire elephant. In the same way, it is argued, the religions of the world each have a grasp on part of the truth about spiritual reality, But none can see the whole elephant to claim to have a comprehensive vision of the truth. Now, Tim Keller points out that this illustration itself backfires because it's told from the point of view of someone who is not blind, who does see the entire elephant. Keller asks, how could you know that each blind man only sees part of the elephant unless you claim to be able to see the whole elephant? Truth is knowable. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the truth. It's true that Jesus lived, performed miracles, was crucified, rose from the dead, and will return. It is true that the kingdom of God has grown like a mustard seed since then, and that Christianity continues to be a movement of goodness and hope, and that the light that Jesus shines in the darkness of the world, even if the darkness does not understand it, we need to think about these things, true things. The second item there is whatever is noble. This means things that are honorable or worthy of respect. Paul gives us an idea of what this looks like in Titus 2.2 or in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 through 11. Let me read that one real quick. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and if there is nothing against them, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, women are to be worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. So Paul gives us, 
Paul and Timothy give us some, uh, the books of Timothy give us some uh, picture of, of what it looks like to be noble, to be worthy of respect. The third item, whatever is right. This could also be translated whatever is just. These are things that meet God's standards of rightness. They're in keeping with the truth. They're righteous. Um, whatever is pure, the emphasis here is on moral purity. Uh, free from moral blemish, completely good. This is a tough one because it's often difficult to maintain purity in thought. Yet Paul is encouraging us to think on pure things. Whatever is lovely. Again, the emphasis here is on a moral or spiritual loveliness or beauty. You might refer to it as an inner beauty. It's a, it's a loveliness of character and behavior. The next one, whatever is admirable. Here's a question for all of us. What would someone else think if they could see or hear your thoughts? Would they admire what you think? That's what Paul is going for here. We should think on admirable things. It's worth noting that Second Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, Paul describes our thought life in battle language. He writes, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It can be a battle, but the more that we pay attention to our thoughts, the easier it gets over time to think on admirable things and in admirable ways. Next, Paul writes, if anything is excellent or trustworthy, or praiseworthy, sorry, uh, Paul had this kind of rhythm going for a bit, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, and then he changes the language here and he says, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, which puts an emphasis on anything, and it puts an emphasis on each of us to discern what is excellent or praiseworthy. Uh, last night, Tracy and I and a couple of friends went to Omaha and saw Dave Matthews' band in concert. And I haven't seen them since I was in college, so this has been 20 years. Uh, but they did not disappoint. It was awesome. Uh, it was a great show. Uh, there was one particular moment. Uh, the band has changed over the years. I'm opening my phone to look at my notes here. The band has changed a little bit over the years. Um, they have this guy uh, who plays, well, they have a, a, a trumpet, they've got an electric guitar, and they've got a keyboardist who are all were, and a saxophonist who are all not with the original lineup. So we were probably three or four songs in, and, you know, they've got this incredible stage set up. It's, it, was, it was amazing to see, and, and all of them are kind of doing, they're all virtuosos when it comes to music. So they're all performing, and they get to this moment near the end of one of the songs, and uh, the trumpet player starts playing this melody, and, and everybody else kind of takes a step back and, and turns toward this guy, and, and he starts playing his trumpet. And the melody starts in one place, and it kind of rises and falls, and, and it's, it's beautiful. He starts doing these technical moves that I, I don't play trumpet. I have no idea how he's doing them, but it sounds amazing. And then it starts climbing, and, and it crescendos, and the band starts following this. And pretty soon, this arena of... Thousands of people are all just cheering for this guy who is playing just an amazing trumpet solo. Um, it was excellent. And we can celebrate that. We can look at that and go, God has put this talent in this person. God has given him a knowledge and an understanding of music and a soul to kind of express these things. So, uh, yeah, this Rashawn Ross, incredible trumpet player, blew me away. It was something that was excellent. 
Andrew Peterson, in his book, Adorning the Darkness, offers some great thoughts on using um, discernment, because that's what Paul is calling us to do. We have to discern what is excellent or praiseworthy. And so here's what Andrew uh, writes in his book. The better path, the path of discernment, is the steeper trail with the heart-stopping view. Discernment, and he's speaking in terms of how we consume media, especially here, discernment demands more from a film or a song than mere entertainment. It asks questions about the content and the intent. Discernment means reading the nutritional facts on the back of the box, asking what the ingredients are, and if there's a bunch of high-fructose corn syrup or monosodium glutamate, for goodness sake, choose something else. He says, I'm not saying that you can't watch the 15th Pirates of the Caribbean film, Just don't go and sit there like a bump on a log, drinking it all down without asking yourself if it's actually any good, let alone good for you. When the film is over, think about what was really going on, about the subtext, if there is any, about the themes. If there's anything there that's true or excellent or worthy of praise. We can find truth and beauty and excellent in a variety of places. It's up to us to discern what to think on and what to toss aside. So last but not least, Paul encourages the reader with verse 9. And this is uh, what we like to call at Nukov, next steps. Whatever you have learned or received or heard today, put it into practice. Knowledge is useless if it doesn't move us um, to put what we've learned into practice. Worry less. Pray and ask God for help more. And think on things that point us to God, things that are true, noble, right, just, Lovely, pure, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. When we walk in the way of Jesus, when we know him more deeply, he transforms us from the inside out. So put these things into practice. Not as a way of achieving your own joy or rightness before God, if that were possible. Put it into practice to choose the joy that Jesus has achieved and offers to you. Philippians isn't a try-harder letter. It's a letter that reminds us to rejoice because of who Jesus is, because Jesus humbled himself and was obedient to death on the cross, because the Father loves us as his children, because the Spirit is working in us. Choose joy because when we think about it, we have in Jesus so many reasons to rejoice. Um, A next step that you can take, and I'll invite the band to come on up and uh, they're going to lead us in a song here. Um, the next step that you might want to take, we often recommend reading plans. And, uh, by the way, if you go, if you're using the Bible app, if you go to the search bar and search any passage in the Bible, uh, like if you typed in Philippians four, six through seven, it'll show you pass. It'll show you Bible studies that, uh, that either use that passage or that are focused on that passage. Um, one of them that I found is called Overcoming Worries. It's a seven-day reading plan on Philippians 4, 6 to 7. And uh, you can find the, the link in the Bible app uh, under our events, uh, or you can really quickly take a picture of this page or, or scribble it down, and, uh, or just search Overcoming Worries. It's a great plan uh, that talks about anxiety. It talks about worry. It talks about how God has, uh, is, is, can help us to combat these things in our lives. We have a chance to respond uh, to what we've heard uh, by giving our offerings or by sharing prayer requests or just by meditating on what we've heard. So let me invite you to do that. If you would like to give, uh, you can use the QR code on the seat back pocket in front of you. 
um, or we have a box as you leave this, this morning. And uh, after this song, uh, we've got something else special to celebrate. So uh, let me turn it over to the worship team.